0: This is Basketball History 101 with
1: Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. And today we share the story of Forrest Fogg Allen, known simply as Fogg. He is considered the father of basketball coaching. By that, I mean that he was the first person who tried to approach the development of the player in a systematic way. His natural ability as a teacher allowed him to break down basketball skills into repeatable drills. He was the first to come up with a system for making his team better. Of course, coaching methods have improved over the 100 years or so since Allen was doing his thing, but every coach around the world is following a basic template that was established by Fog Allen. Born on November 18, 1885 in Jamestown, Missouri, Allen was one of six boys in the family. He was raised in Independence, Missouri, which is now a suburb of Kansas City. He and his brothers played every sport imaginable. They played tennis, American football, boxing, and baseball. One boy that would join them on occasion was future president of the United States, Harry Truman. Allen was around 9 years old in 1894 when for the first time he saw some other local boys play the game of basketball. He became obsessed with this new game. Now, At the time, the game of basketball was only 3 years old and he became quite good at it. He was a keen observer of what worked and what didn't work. He did the things that worked and he practiced those things over and over by himself. This was the groundwork for what would become his coaching career. But he wasn't the only athlete in his family. All of his brothers had a knack for sports. Together, they formed a barnstorming team called the Amazing Allen Brothers. Fogg Allen was just 10 years old when he and his brothers formed this team. They went five years while losing only one game. They were a really great team in the Kansas City area. Back then, basketball teams had a designated free throw shooter who would shoot the free throws no matter which player was actually fouled. And yes, that was the rule back then and Fogg Allen was chosen by his brothers to be the designated free throw shooter for their team since he was their most consistent shooter. When Allen was around 19 years old, the Olympics had come to Missouri. On the other side of the state, in St. Louis, the entire world was coming to watch the Olympics and basketball was going to be a demonstration sport. And he had to be there. When he arrived, he saw the greatest basketball team that he had ever seen, the Buffalo Germans from Buffalo, New York, and he was enthralled. He had to play against these guys. So after the Olympics were over, he sent a telegram to the Germans inviting them to come to Kansas City and play a best of three game against the Kansas City Athletic Club, which Fogg Allen and a couple of his brothers were playing for. He told the Germans that he would cover their expenses. So they agreed. Now, he needed to convince his own team to play the series. You see, he did not ask anyone on his team about this until after the Germans agreed to play in it. So the team actually agreed pretty quickly because they were up for it. But. This still put Allen in a tough situation because he was going to need to come up with about $600 to cover the Germans' travel expenses, and this was 1904. That was a lot of money, and he did not have it. Remember, the airplane had only been invented the year before. Everybody still traveled by train, and the trip from Buffalo, New York to Kansas City, Missouri took three or four days back then. And that was each way. So working with a local salesman, they were able to rent out the convention hall in Kansas City which sat 5,000 people and was the largest facility in the area. This led to his next problem, convincing people to buy tickets to this thing. In addition to having the making of a future basketball coach, Allen was also a born salesman. He wrote stories in the local paper declaring that this series of basketball games were the most prestigious sporting event ever to come to Kansas City. He built the series as the World Championship Series of Basketball. If that did not sell tickets, then nothing would. His older brother, Pete Allen, arranged to have James Naismith be part of the event. At the time, Naismith was the head coach at the University of Kansas only 40 miles away from Kansas City. Thankfully, the whole thing worked and they sold out all three games. The Germans won the first game, which was extremely physical. There were broken jaws, black eyes, and bloody noses. Tripping an opponent was still legal at the game at that time. We do not have the score of that second game, but Kansas City Athletic Club won, leading to game three which would become the deciding game. Now something got into Fog Allen for that third game, because they destroyed the Germans by a score of 45-14. to As far as they were concerned, the Kansas City Athletic Club was the world champion of basketball. For his part, Allen became one of the best known players in the country. He was really good at this game. To his credit, Allen came through and paid the Germans the $600 he owed them to cover their travel expenses. But the three game series was such a success that the Kansas City Athletic Club kept the other $5,000. After bouncing around to a few different spots, Allen landed at the University of Kansas where he was coached by James Naismith himself and they had a really great relationship. Unfortunately, statistics were not kept well back then, so we do not have anything exact on how he performed, other than the fact that he was described and is considered the greatest player that the University of Kansas had produced at that time. Of course, the game of basketball was not even 20 years old, but still. Today, most people would say that Will Chamberlain is the best player to ever come out of the University of Kansas. But if you go back to the 1910s, it was still Fog allen Now, this is a good place to take a break, and I'll be right back with Fog Allen's story as he moves into the coaching ranks and becomes
0: a legend. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.
1: Welcome back to the show, and let us continue with the story of Fog Allen, he has now completed his college playing days and was moving on to bigger and better things. Once Fogg Allen graduated from Kansas, he spent some time playing, coaching, and getting his medical degree. He returned to the University of Kansas in 1919 to become the new head basketball coach, taking over for his own coach, James Naismith. He also took on the role of athletic director and physical education professor. Naismith had not left the university. He was simply stepping down as the basketball coach. Naismith was also a regular professor at the university and needed to focus on his teaching, and he felt that the basketball program was in good hands with Fog Allen. Now Allen was a born learner. He was always studying the game and trying to learn as much as he could from it. He combined his knowledge of basketball and his knowledge as a medical doctor to condition and train his team into a supercharged, well-oiled machine. You see, back then the idea of conditioning was brand new, but having a medical degree, he understood that purposely increasing the heart rate would give a player increased stamina, and then they're able to perform in the games more efficiently. And this was brand new at the time. In 1924, about five years after he took over the Kansas team, he wrote what was literally the largest book on basketball coaching. It was called My Basketball Bible, and it was 445 pages long. It completely dwarfed anything else that had been written about the game. It contained diagrams, drills, instructions for treating injuries, even how to entertain fans at halftime. Over the course of his career, he wrote many other books on basketball. The books were primarily written with other coaches in mind. And since there was virtually nothing else out there of this kind, Fog Allen's view of coaching basketball became the standard by which most coaches approached the training of their players. Allen's methods worked and he gained a following throughout the coaching world for his book My Basketball Bible. Today, there are all kinds of coaching clinics where more experienced coaches show younger coaches how to be better at what they do. High school coaches pay big money to be taught by elite college coaches like Gino Ariema or John Calipari. It is practically an industry in itself. But back in the 1920s, one of the only ways to become a better coach was to buy Fogg Allen's books. I really cannot stress this enough, but Fogg Allen's methods became virtually everyone's methods. This is why I say at the top of the episode that even coaches today are still using the basic template that Fogg Allen established nearly 100 years ago. Granted, today the overall skill of players is much better and the players are much taller and more athletic, but if Fogg Allen were to walk into any university level practice, he would recognize what was going on. It would be like Henry Ford looking at a modern automobile, yes it is much more advanced, but the engine is still located in the same place, the steering wheel is still in the same place, and it still has four wheels. The assembly line of today still follows what Henry Ford invented. The point is that in basketball, we still follow the basic template established by Fogg Allen for practicing and training basketball players. While basketball was his true passion, during his coaching career, Allen also coached American football and baseball. He was included as an assistant coach on the 1952 Olympic team that went to Helsinki and won the gold medal. By the time he hung up his whistle, he had been coaching basketball for 50 years, 36 of those years at the University of Kansas. He won 746 games at the college level. The arena where the University of Kansas plays its games today is called the Allen Fieldhouse. One of his former players, a backup point guard who rarely played, went by the name Adolph Rupp, and he coached the University of Kentucky to four national championships. And if you want to hear more about Adolph Rupp, you can go and listen to that two-part episode. It was episodes 36 and 37, and Fog Allen's influence definitely impacted Adolph Rupp, who followed a lot of his template in the way that he trained his players at Kentucky. Another one of Fog Allen's players went on to coach the University of North Carolina to two national championships. That coach's name was Dean Smith. So let me dig into that connection with Smith for just a moment here. James Naismith, the inventor of the game, coached Fogg Allen. Fog Allen then coached Dean Smith. And Dean Smith coached Michael Jordan. Fogg Allen was part of the very first class inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in 1959 alongside his old coach and the inventor, James Naismith. Well. That is a quick overview of the life of Fog Allen. Hopefully you can see how his influence still lives on today with current coaches all over the world. The idea of taking basketball moves and breaking them down into repeatable drills is still done today. The idea of conditioning players with sprints and long distance running started with Fog Allen. Again, I want to emphasize that while the drills might be different today, the conditioning might be a little bit different today, the basic approach still goes back to Fogg Allen. That is why we call him the father of basketball coaching. So join us next time when we share the story of the Continental Basketball Association, or the CBA. At one time, it was the top developmental league in America. It was the place where players would go in hopes of making that leap to the NBA. Today, it no longer exists. But that's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Also, go ahead and give us a rating and a review, and that will help others to find this podcast more easily. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. George Mikan and Bob Curlin in a battle of two giants. Today, it would have been like having Wilt Chamberlain's Kansas Jayhawks Play against Shaquille O'Neal's Louisiana State Tigers. This was an enormous matchup for college basketball fans. Mikan played the game of his life, outscoring Curlin 25-18. The final score was DePaul 46 and Oklahoma A&M 42. It was a great start to what would now definitely be Mikan's final season. However, DePaul was not able to defend their national championship. DePaul would make it to the NIT semi-final against Oklahoma A&M, but this time Curling got the better of Mikan, as A&M's Hall of Fame coach Hank Iba used speed against Mikan to win the game 46-38. Mikan was not able to reproduce his effort from their earlier matchup. He fully expected to defend their title and repeat as national champions. It was always one of the toughest losses he ever took. That is how Mikan's college career ended. And now, it was really time for him to move on to the next stage of his life, which wasn't necessarily professional basketball. At the time that Mike had finished at DePaul, he was only a few credits shy of a law degree. So he had a decision to make. Was he going to accept a contract to play professional basketball or pursue a career in law where he would undoubtedly make much more money? I will share the rest of George Mikan's story next week and part two of this episode. I will share how he does become a full-time professional basketball player, a commissioner, and a lawyer. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to SportsHistoryNetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts, as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. Also, I'll announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care, and see you soon.
0: Hey there, Sports History fan.